The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Today on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. There's been plenty of motorsport for us to talk about. We've got a fantastic guest joining us on the show today. Episode number 23. We're very, very proud and we hope that uh, if you've just joined us for the first time for episode number 23 that you enjoy it. And there's a whole back catalogue for you to catch up on. Some uh, 22 other fantastic chats that uh, my colleague and good friend, Gary O'Brien has uh, been on this journey with us and we're really enjoying our time. Of course, the Napa Auto Parts Academy or the Napa Motorsport Academy is a free service to all of those out there in the big wide world. On the internet, jump online at napaautoparts.com.au and you'll be able to find the Motorsport Academy or just Google the old uh, Motorsport Academy, Napa Motorsport Academy. On there, you'll find plenty of tips on uh, training the physical training on preparation of vehicles you'll find uh, preparation for media um social media out outlets sponsorship of course um grant rowley who works with us in the background on this show does a lot of the media training aspect of it so there's plenty of things on there and the good thing about it is it's a free service so jump on and enjoy the napa auto parts motorsport academy I've already mentioned his name, my uh, co-host, and mentioned it 22 times prior to tonight. And for 38 years, Gary O'Brien has been a loyal servant and reporter, journalist, man of many, many hats throughout the years at his time at Auto Action. He has uh, blown the whistle, called time on those 38 years, and has now moved over to Team Green and joining speed cafe luckily he joins me once a fortnight and we get to produce the napa auto parts grassroots racing podcast welcome gary o'brien you know daz i could work with you for 38 years without a problem at all thank you very much gaz i reckon we've done pretty well to get 23 podcasts <laughs> yeah. out it's lucky it's edited because some of the uh some of the eyes and this this is the good thing about an audio podcast some of the eyes glaring down the computer at me while we're doing it on this platform <laughs> uh, have certainly found uh, found hit me on the hit me on the forehead like they have in the commentary booth over many many years. Hey guys, let's uh, let's just uh, hold fire for this lovely chit chat between you and I. And we've been doing it for I think about twenty years at least. But um, we got a great guest coming on tonight. He'll be with us in just a moment. Darren, we've gone top shelf this time around. Our guest was the chief executive officer of the Confederation of Australian Motorsport, which is now Motorsport Australia. After that tenure, which ran from 2002 to 2006, he was the inaugural general manager of the Australian Institute of Motorsport Safety, the AMIWS, from 2007 to 2008. Subsequently, he formed his own consultancy company and has consulted to many various institutions. More recently, he has been involved with the inception of the Fit to Drive and providing road safety education programs to senior secondary school students. He became a member of the advisory group to the Fit to Drive CEO and board. 
However, we want to dive back to last century. Sounds a long time ago these days. <laughs> and talk about his motor racing career, which began in the 1990s. His success and how he how this led to his role with the sports governing body. Let's us welcome Dr. Rob Mendevacote. <laughs> Hi, guys, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. I really uh, like what you're doing with the grassroots motorsports because although I was the CEO of CAMS, you'll understand that I consider myself part of the grassroots and I came into that role of CEO from the grassroots, and we'll no doubt touch on that as we go along. Rob, fantastic to have you on here, and uh, I hope we're fairly... uh, Laconic here at the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Do you mind if we drop the doctor and just call you Rob? Please do. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I had blood test earlier today, and the doctor thing. I just want to leave for the until next week when I get those results on that. I was wondering why you looked a bit pale, Dad. Now I've had a whole you know, six mil of blood taken out of me today, Gaz. Thank you. I'm, I'm I'm up and about though, so you better watch yourself. Thirty eight years at AA, you've probably been resting on your laurels for the best part of thirty eight of them. <laughs> um, Gaz, uh, sorry, Rob. Um, our very first question to everyone that joins us on um, on the podcast is: tell us about your very first experience at a race meeting, and you went, "Wow!" At some point, that might be part of my life, or "Wow!" I'm diving straight in right now, and it's going to be part of my life. Well, I'm going to give you two. Uh, the first one is is uh, that. Um, in 1956, the Australian Grand Prix, my father, who was besotted by motorsport, took me. Uh, I think I was probably eight at the time, uh, and I sat on his shoulders and watched uh, the big sit-up Bentleys and those sorts of things. Uh, the, um, um, and I was besotted when I saw the beautiful shape of an MGA. Now, the MGE Car Club have not paid me for, the, me for this uh, commercial, but... It was something else to see the MGAs, which was so different from the lovely little TF Butter Club, you might remember. Um, and uh, so I was besotted then. But the second part of it was that um, when I uh, was 52 years of age, my brother, Andy Nethercote, who's also well known in the uh, racing fraternity, um, he had a Formula V to sell. It was a Sabre made by Borland. And uh he said, I'm, I don't think I can win the big, big championship in this. And I said, well, my son, who was 19 at the time, David, and I will buy it and we'll go motor racing. So I went motor racing at the age of 52. That was my first contact, physical contact with motor racing. So uh, Certainly Andy in the Victorian um, open wheeler scene is is synonymous with it and still very much engaged to this day at state rounds. Uh, you mentioned the ball and racing developments. You know, working within that organisation, coaching as yes. well. Yeah. What else, when you came, you know, you saw you were at the 1956 um, uh, Grand Prix, I guess you went to the Olympics at the MCG that year as well did, and, yes. and, and saw that. <clears throat> and and uh, in the 90s, what was it about, you know, you don't just buy a racing car for your brother because he's selling a racing car. Was there a bit of an itch inside <laughs> you that needed to be scratched? Oh, there'd been an itch forever. I mean, I was the problem was I was a teacher. I had no money. <laughs> that was a simple problem. And, of course, I did have a sporting career. Um, so I umpired AF- AFL or VFL, as it was at the time. Uh, I umpired 708 games of that. Uh, I played uh, um, district cricket and uh, uh, I, played a, I played a range of sports. Uh, and uh, so I just needed to add another one. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the the thrill of sport is obviously running through your veins, and out of those, I guess, I mean, over seven hundred games umpiring is is a massive career in anything. That's like having seven hundred races in a Formula V, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, each time yeah. you roll out onto the onto the playing field or the racetrack, whatever it might be. You obviously love the thrill of being involved in competitive sport. Yeah, and I love giving back to the sport. Um, one of the things is I coached a lot of cricket with some success. Uh, and I umpired, of course, which was giving back having played three seasons for Vermont in the uh, Eastern Districts League. Um, but uh, when it, when the opportunity came along to motor race, uh, it was, as you'd appreciate, Formula V, which is I've been watching on television for years and all those good names that we know today, John Bow and uh, Larry Perkins and people like that, were making good use of that particular category. And I thought, wow, this racing's pretty darn good. And it was. It was fantastic. You know, you get into a race, uh, usually we had about 35 on the grid. So my major introduction, that was at Calder. And I'd done a few uh, uh, come and try days with with Andy. And uh, so we'd gone out there and uh, had a good go at it. And I thought I was pretty good. So the first race we go out and I led the led the crew out. You know, all the 35 experienced drivers behind me. And I had a good go. And the first lap, I broke the engine. So, uh, <laughs> so your brother sold you a really so I, good at engine. 10, at 10 o'clock, I'm pulled into the pits. I don't know what I did. I might have over-revved it or something, uh, if you can over-rev a Formula V. Um, but I, uh, I, I was pulled into the pits at 10 o'clock, uh, and uh, the guy said, well, that's not it for the weekend. Uh, five of them got onto my car and ripped the engine out of the back of it and said, there's another one in Bayswater. Go and get it. So I drove from Calder to Bayswater, brought it back, and I was re-racing at about uh, 2 o'clock. And that's what I thought was the the camaraderie of Formula V, and uh, it was. It still is today. I think it's a great category. Um, although uh, we were, ha- and the other thing that happened is, is that, um, like a lot of things in life, uh, people are good at stepping back and and leaving someone in front. So um, you know, it is um, sometimes the situation. And um, within three months, I was the president of the Formula V Association of Victoria. That was the question I was going to lob at you. Was it a point of um, wanting to be president or was it let's no. uh, <laughs> but was then, it a, a case of um, all, all volunteers step forward and everyone step back but you? That's correct. <laughs> anyway, so what happened is I did that and uh, it just came at the time of um, a wonderful document that CAMS put together, which was called Towards 2000 and Beyond. You may remember it. The white paper. Yeah, paper, and what yeah. it was, what it was, was it was basically an outline of the entry level categories, the middle level categories, and the top shelf categories mm-hmm. for for formula cars or open wheelers, um, sports cars, and uh, touring cars. And what it did uh, was that it atrophied HQ Holdens and Formula V, saying they were old technology. But the promoters, of course, loved us because we had thirty five on the grid each time, and it. I think at that time it was about $220 to go to a meeting. So that was $220 by 35. And with Formula V, we'd have the first race every day of a meeting because if we, even if we crashed, we'd be take, picked up with a hook and taken off very quickly and they'd get on with the next race. Um, so when that came about, um, David um, Turnbull came to me and he said, look, as the, as the Formula V president, what I want you to do is to drive the CAMS board from their hotel to the 
Grand Prix platform where they all gathered for the Grand Prix. Uh, and so I did that. And at the end of that week, um, they took me out to dinner. Uh, and uh, a year later, I was a CEO. So I reckon it's a, I went from bus driver to CEO in one year. So from from bu- Formula V driver to bus driver to lobbyist to CEO. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And in that process, I, I um, met some wonderful people. But um, I I'd had previous common con- contact through Rotary, um, where where I was a fellow member of the Rotary Melbourne Club uh, with Bob Glinderman, who was on the board. And also, I'd had um, great contact with Peter Breedy over the years. And uh, uh, when it came to, I think, what, them wanting someone who had background in motorsport, uh, even though it was three months at that point, or about a year and three months, perhaps, by the time they appointed me, um, then uh, um, they were probably speaking on my behalf. So I thank them for that. Rob, can we just delve back into the, your competition career, which which sort of... I guess came into success after you'd had your time in the in the big seat at uh, at Cams when you you did uh, a little bit of historic Formula Ford in a Lola and you uh, you took out the Victorian Hill Climb Championship and then in two thousand and five prior to that in two thousand and five the Formula V Championship as well and a, and uh, and more recently and uh, next time you're looking for someone to drive it in a regularity get Paul Zitti out of it and put me into it. Uh, the Elfin, and uh, I, every time I see a photo of that Elfin, I just lust after it. But let's just hark back to the time when you, you know, you went off to the Victorian Hill Climb Championship in a in a Lola Formula Ford, and, and by the end of that year, you were the you were the champion. Well, it's not as grand as it seems because I don't really know how many Formula Fords are actually uh, racing in the seven rounds of the uh, uh, of the Formula Ford Championship. But there's a competition between me and Where's Inkster. And Wes had a more modern Formula Ford, and I was I was actually quite good, I think, in that period because I got off the line very quickly, um, and uh, th- that way I uh, I was able to uh, get. But I think I won more likely because Wes didn't come to some meetings than the fact that I beat him more often than he beat me. So That's I think that was the modest. <laughs> well, I think the other thing is I won the Australian in Formula V, and I was the only one who turned up. So I think. My my successes may uh, be a bit more shiny than they actually were. You've probably been in the same room when Colin Bond and Tim Schenken argue about who won the 1965 Australian Hill Climb Championship. So take the award and, and drive off onto it. You can, you can <laughs> well, hold it up to the, you can hold it up to those luminaries and say, "Hey, I've got one that's 45, 50 years newer than yours, boys." I've still got it. Yep, indeed. That's so great. yeah, no, that was great, and and uh, that that Formula V uh, gave me a lot of joy and. Uh, I think it's a great category. Uh, one of the things that um, we had as another battle that we had in Formula V was when they, uh, the New South Wales contingent wanted to go to 1600. And I was very against that because I thought we had a very good uh, sequence, if you like, of 1200cc for the Formula V, 1600 Kent engines for the Formula Ford and two litre for Formula 3. And uh, they were arguing they wanted to go into 1600 which basically made them faster and I thought why don't you just go into Formula Ford which is a great category and still is I mean I, I think it's a joy to see that Formula Ford has survived the uh, the problems of the, the recent past to be stronger than ever which is fantastic uh, for those who have uh, got it behind it and and made that happen. 
while you're uh, just while you jump on this, sorry, Gaz, just on on, yeah. on that, Rob, we'll just throw a quick plug in here for the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships at Winton on uh, on this weekend, so the weekend of the twentieth. Um, so uh, yeah, Formula Ford and Formula V, as always, are topping the entry numbers uh, this weekend. So um, you're right, the the white paper put a bit of a spell over a couple of categories and, and, you know, recently HQs were at Bathurst and they were lined up all the way back into, into the township with uh, the amount of HQs there. So it's almost like they, they held the wand over and went, right, you're going to be gone. And everyone tucked in and, and got together and made it happen. What was it that the Formula V Association did that ensured its longevity, Rob? I think the I think the Formula V just proved itself as a car and 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 a category um, through the fact I mean, I, bought, I bought my Formula V for ten thousand dollars, I raced it on one set of tyres a year for five years and I sold it for eleven thousand dollars. So I think doesn't that make doesn't that say something? How many categories now can we buy a racing car, have ten race meetings a year, and it virtually costs you only the tyres and the entry fee? It's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. The uh, question I wanted to ask is when uh, 1600s did come in, we did notice that the closeness that we had before that amongst the 1200s sort of dissipated to a point for several years. And it wasn't really until probably probably last four or five years that the 1600s have got back to where the 1200s were when they decided they were going to upgrade them. Yeah, I tell you, I think the reason for that is slipstreaming. And it, it, you get more slipstreaming effect on a 1,200cc Formula V than you do on a 1,600 Formula V. And, in fact, um, one of my uh, my last race uh, was at um, Eastern Creek, and I'd, I'd uh, qualified very poorly. And this was the um, um, Tasman Series um, historic meeting, mm-hmm. a- and uh, I'd qualified in 17th place, and I was really annoyed with myself. Uh, and on the first lap, I went from 17th to 11th. And I was coming down the main straight first time. And I got in too close to the bloke in front of me because we're going past him for 10th place. And uh, uh, I got in too tight. And I pulled out to the left so that that one worked. But I pulled to the right to try to get back on the track. And it didn't work. So I went sideways down the entry into pit lane. Uh, and... Uh, um, you know, they always say you know when to retire, and I um, adjusted my clothing somewhat, went back through pit lane at about 40 k's, which we were allowed to do, got back on the track, chased up and, and got some of the tail enders before the end of the race, got out of the car and retired. But, but I think the thing was that uh, there was less suck, and so I, had, I actually got too close, whereas in Formula V, as you'd probably appreciate, we're so close to each other, and that was just... Mm. Fantastic racing, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a race at Phillip Island one day, where the guy who led into the straight on at turn twelve was in was finished in sixth place. Yeah, as you, as you well know that you can actually slip slipstream someone and then pass them and then get slipstreamed again and pass exactly. before the start before the finish line. <laughs> exactly. The, um, <laughs> the, the beauty of the of Formula V, despite whether it's twelve hundred or sixteen hundred, is the the race craft that you learn and about how to where to be coming into that final lap. Yeah, and equally Formula Ford. And I think mm. for you know why why do why do they like Formula Ford uh graduates in V8 supercars? Because they've learned to race. Mm. And I think I think that's that's really 
critical and and you're you're at close quarters and and you know it works really well to to use those skills i mean formula ford are actually better without wings and slicks because they're they're more skittish uh whereas if you have wings and slips like on say formula four had or formula three or two um when you drive a formula three it's it's quite clinical you know it breaks where it wants you where you want it to and horrendously late and it turns in you know but a formula ford you've got to use skills to to keep that car sort of on a on a, a knife edge um and that's against others who are doing the same thing it's really exciting stuff let's take you back to the first time you rolled out of pit lane at calder in your formula v because i can um also reflect on the first time i drove out of pit lane at the wheel of a formula v was ken hastings uh Elfin. and i came around and did the did a couple of laps and was getting myself used to the gearbox etc cetera, etc cetera. I could never reconcile in my head those wheels bouncing around like that, like just in your peripheral vision. In a Formula Ford, again, I drove one of Ken Hastings' Formula Fords, you sit right back down and you can't see the top of the wheels quite so much. How did you reconcile those wheels that were going all over the place? Or did you just like zoom out that focus zone? I just took it as the best thing that you can do lying down, mate. Well, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I to this day I can I can sometimes close my eyes and try to go to sleep and, and I, I sit bolt upright and go. I can see those wheels bouncing around, mate. Maybe I, uh, maybe when I meet up with Ken in the uh, in the place above in in years to come, I can have a chat with him about the shock absorber settings on that. Uh, we can we can work on that. But how good was it that you had an H beam off a little old beetle? And I was one one match run one race at Calder. I ran off at the S's into the wall. Uh, I. Bruised my nose cone, of course, but I, I, I bent the front H-beam. So what did we do? We went to the wreckers, we got another H-beam, put it on, and I raced in the afternoon. You know, the same sort of thing. It was wonderful. The only thing you didn't want to do, which is what I did in the Formula V Nationals, was at uh, Oran Park, is to back into the wall because then you you break the gearbox, and that is very hard to replace. Tell us about racing at Formula V at Oran Park. Oh, Oran Park was sensational. It was one of the great tracks. Um, you know, that last corner onto the straight. But if, if you go down the main straight, uh, there was a, the, the first turn in turn one was amazing. And then you go, went under the bridge and then you had a, a terrific um, little short straight and then right-hand turn and back towards the, a couple of very difficult corners. And then over the bridge was just sensational and through the middle of the paddock um, and up, up to a left-hander, which was, amazing down through a dipper and on back onto the main straight it was a fabulous track i imagine that turn coming off the bridge the right hander would have been uh, interesting when you're side by side with another car <laughs> yes it was interesting when you're on the one but the one that's most interesting is turn one at phillip island and the, the greatest um, uh, act of courage i think in my life was to uh, to take that flat which was all the all the formula drives the drivers said oh you do it flat and of course you, you did, and once you did it, you realised how good it was. And then two or three laps later, you, you're going too wide through turn one at Phillip Island. That's extraordinary. Mm. Um, it wasn't so good when Mark Zulner hit me up the backside of uh, Phillip Island, <laughs> uh, and and I was trying to, you know, I was then working with a very skittish car, at 100, 190 or something. <laughs> I'll be sure to remind Mark of that next time I see him. A good mate of mine, Mark. Well, Mark, okay, there's another story I've got about Formula V uh, with Mark, and that was that he and I were the, the dunderheads attending. No, I don't want to say that. We were the less <laughs> skilled attending a Victorian race state, state race meeting uh, when uh, 
the other eight of the 10 that were competing in it were the ones who were in contention. Uh, and it was the next week was the Australians. So all the other people like us had decided not to compete so they could save their uh, themselves for the next week. Uh, and this was, if you like, my highlight in motorsport was that we all went out as 10 cars together and to qualify. Now, I had to deal as a an older person. Remember, I'm 50-something years, years old and I'm dealing with these younger people generally, but these are the guys who you can be close to and you can be. they will behave and they will... But, you know, you know, you can get within six inches of their tyres, and probably nothing will happen to you. Um, whereas at the back, you can, uh, you can, you can have all sorts of horrendous things. In fact, my brother Andy had two horrendous Formula E crashes where he'd had problems and was coming through the field, he, and and he spooked, if you like, a, a Formula E driver, and he ended up in the wall twice. But um, anyway, we all went out, ten of us together, on this is uh, a qualifying session. And um, I was uh, at the back at the beginning one lap and I was in position one at the end of the lap. So that actually got me pole. And uh, I've got a wonderful photo with myself and my brother Andy on front row at Phillip Island together in virtually identical cars. He had an Elfin Crusader and mine was a Sabres. And they, as you probably know, the Elfin Crusader is a, is a bit of a takeoff of the Sabre. Or, mm. or the Sabre, sorry, the Sabre is a take-off yeah, yeah. Crusader. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, and what, what, what thrilled me most about that, apart from the fact that I'd scare the living dynamite sort of all the other eight good drivers in the field, um, was that uh, when I went upstairs afterwards, the PIAC staff and and uh, officials were absolutely wrapped that the CEO of CAMS had actually got pole. And that was my yeah. highlight in motorsport. But, but the main thing that was... Uh, that came out of that was that I came eighth in the race and Andy won it. See, um, it's interesting you, you talk about coming through from the back of the field, how difficult it can be. The late Steve Butchart was one of our front-running um, HQ Holden guys several years ago. He um, he was under the tutelage of the late Peter Hopwood, who oh, yes. Great. renowned for me. Anyway, uh, Steve was up the front of a field and coming out of what is now turn seven at Sydney Motorsport Park, Park, he had a spin and re resumed at the back of the field. And he said, you know what? Those blokes at the back are harder to pass than the ones up the front. <laughs> <laughs> but you've just got to give them more light and more room. Well, you don't um, know them. So you don't, you... Yeah, and you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. So I envied those that ran at the front all the time, but I had a fairly hard time of it most of the time. So you ran it. You, you ran the Victorian tracks. You, you've mentioned you raced at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, or the artist formerly known as Eastern Creek, uh, Oran Park. What um, what track did you go to? And you're pulling the V off the trailer and go, "I'm going to have a, the best weekend. This is my favourite place to race a Formula V." Well, I've been see. I've been lucky because I've had three eras. We've had Formula V, Formula Ford, and now the Clubby, uh, the Elfin Clubman, and and the the the. Uh, uh, Look, there's some fabulous tracks. Oran Park's gone, um, and you know it's sad when these tracks go. But Oran Park was fabulous. Uh, Sydney Motorspark, Motorsport Park's a great track. Um, I, I reckon Morgan Park's a great track. I've never raced there. I'd love to. Um, and I, I have a, a great love of Melina. I'm going there this weekend for the historic meeting, uh, and I'll I'll have a joy at that. I, the Bend is enormous. Uh, it's just extraordinary to to race at the at the Bend. Um, Malala's fantastic track. 
But I think, you know, there's a little gem down in Tasmania called Baskerville. And uh, if you ask John Bell, I think he'd probably say the same thing because he's the a first place he ever raced. Yeah, and and it is just fantastic. And the atmosphere, and 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 it's it's interesting how the Tasmanians um, uh, adopt you and 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 look after you, and and I think it's just fantastic. Unfortunately, I can't go to their meeting in November. I was trying to, but I can't get on the ferry for a, a price that would make it uh, viable for me. So I'm going to Malala this weekend, and, and similarly, the South Australians are fabulous as well. Uh, but everybody in motorsports fabulous, and I just um, uh, I'm, I'm thunderstruck really by the amount that people put in. Recently at the historic classic at Phillip Island, I did three days as a pit lane official. I was so tired at the end of that; my feet killed me, and I was just had so much um, respect for what those people do. It's it's just incredible, and they just love it, and they put in, and I know they get close to the action and so on. But they're so good, you know. They know what they're doing, and it's so impressive. And and as CEO, of course, I always said the right things about how good our officials were. But I now know, working suddenly, you know, I, I graduated as a as an official in two thousand and two, and that was my first race meeting working as an official. And I just have the greatest respect for what they do, the flaggies and the pit people and all the administration staff. They just do a fantastic job making the sport run. Just going you, back to you, tracks, going you, from um, a circuit racing place like Calder Park and then you go and do a hill climb, the uh, the first thing I noticed, the first few hill climbs I went to, apart from, say, Mount Panorama, is how narrow the road is. Did you find that a bit daunting to start with? Um, well, probably the V wasn't fast enough to be a problem, but uh, <laughs> going up hills. <laughs> but uh, yes, if you go to Colin Grove, for instance, they've, they've got a very daunting track. There's a there's a wall, and you turn back onto a um, a section that you, you've got to try and find because you can't see it. <laughs> it's sort of behind you. And uh, yes, that's true. Rob Roy's quite narrow. Um, yeah, Raymond but, Terrace is quite narrow. Yeah, and I love I love Mount Cotton. I don't know whether you've ever been to Mount Cotton. Oh, I've seen, seen a bit of Fabulous track. Mm. Um, so that's a good track. And the other one at the moment, which is just brilliant, is Bryant Park in Gippsland. I mean, so that the story of that's interesting because it was lost because it was taken over. The, the lawn one was taken over by the, uh, by the open cut. And uh, so they got state money, I think, to, uh, to build it. And, and John Bryant and all the team at the Gippsland Motorsport Park uh, have, have done it terrific job in a, making it and it's got so many really good corners and I, I always come off there and think I started well and I finished badly or I started badly and I finished well but I never kind of put one together it's really hard really good way really good way to learn how to use cold tires is do hill climbs that you can I remember and and Gaz yes I do have some trophies from uh, that Morwell hill climb when oh, uh, didn't you back in the these? day I, I'm glad Rob said that because I can remind you of some of those uh, some of my trophies as well and uh, yes I agree with you you'd come across the you'd go up the start and you'd fly to the top of the hill and you'd go under the bridge and go and basically come shooting down the other side and it was so narrow. And you get to the bottom and then you go, hang on a minute, I got no tyre temp. I, got, I did this half. That was in the keyhole. Yeah, yeah. I did this half bad burnout. I got no no, no front grip and I've all got, got all the rear grip. Well, I had a problem in the keyhole always because I could never get it back into second gear. For some reason, going down that hill and under braking, it would it, it flexed the, the body in such a way that I could never pull it into second gear. So I'm putting away in third gear trying to get through there. 
it was, uh, but it was, that was a great little track too. And that was a circuit. And sometimes you could go down and do lap after lap after lap when they just opened it for Fridays or whatever. Rob, really interesting that, uh, you know, we've been chatting for whatever it is, how many minutes now, and uh, we've been reflecting on your, your time at Formula V and, and, and competition. And you've had a smile from, from ear to ear, basically, you know, reviewing, I guess, the, the time that you've enjoyed as a competitor and you've just touched on as an official. I guess the other aspect of your motorsport career, and we have mentioned it a couple of times, was that you were the CEO of the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. At the time, the, the previous CEO to you, Peter, had, um, I guess, handed over the, the the bath with no baby in it, no bath water, and, and you were given a, a pretty tough old task to breathe some life back into, into the Confederation of Australian Motorsport. Well, I, I had two problems. One is that Peter had basically sold the farm to V8 Supercars um, and that was a $4 million payment that Supercars paid for it but it was the Touring Car Championship and we would we, we could then no longer get any money on an ongoing basis. So once that $4 million was spent, we had a, a restricted income. The other thing that happened at that time was that uh, um, Bob, Jane and Mick Ronk had uh, decided that they would try and start ASA, and we um, I, I arrived just at the time that they were, that, that 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 sort of announcement had, had happened, and uh, I spent five years trying to pacify people. And 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 uh, uh, two two sessions, I tried to uh, work with Bob Jane and and got nowhere. Um, so it was a, that was a difficult period. And look, in hindsight, we should have have understood, I think, um, that we took a top down approach to it. Uh, it's not me necessarily because. I don't think I've ever been a top-down person. I think I've seen myself more as the club, club uh, coming from clubby land than from top shelf. And and uh, I was trying to uh, work with these people to see whether we could divide the pie a little bit differently. And I think it's ended up that way. The thing, the only thing that annoyed me about the whole thing was that at the time the AASA came into being. They just simply took all the training that we'd done of officials and used our officials. And all our officials wanted to do was go and work at race meetings. It didn't matter mm. to them whether it was CAM or, or, or AASA. Uh, and they paid nothing for that. And if you go to a, a AASA meeting now, uh, you'll fill out a form that's exactly the same. It just has uh, AASA instead of CAMs. Um, so they, they, and then they undercut us. And that was really quite annoying. But uh, I think time has buried that to some extent, and I think we need to uh, realise that there's enough part of pie for us all. And, uh, of course, the other thing that happened, and it's interesting with the announcement of a motorsport uh, facility, um, a head of motorsport facility at Avalon Airfield this week, uh, that um, uh, we, we, we didn't have the tracks, and we haven't ever had the tracks in Victoria particularly because they, uh, they were owned by other people. Um, and it... it I know motorsport, uh, uh, motorcycling Australian, actually to put a dollar or something on each of their permits uh, for each ca each um, contestant or, or, or participant, and they uh, have got that wonderful facility at Broadford as a result of that. Yeah, the the, the facility is owned by the sport for the sport, isn't it? It's, mm. uh, and, mm. and they've they've used it very very cleverly over over many many years. You've just in five minutes encapsulated some pretty tough battles that you had to take at the, you know, to some of the big rooms of motorsport around Australia. What in that phase of your motorsport involvement was the the most enjoyable part? The one you, at the end of the day you went, wow, that was 
that was a ripping day and, and I've been with great people. Well, one of the things that we used to do, and, and it was interesting, is we used to go over to London to negotiate the insurance. And uh, I would go with uh, Bruce Keyes and he would try and um, convince the um, uh, underwriters that our sport was, sport was as safe as it could be so that our premium would be less. And uh, that was a fantastic thing because we always then went to a um, to a race uh, to a Grand Prix uh, because we did it at that time. And and I can well remember one of the great <laughs> enjoyable moments was going to Barcelona, which was a fantastic track and fantastic people. Um, and I went with John Large. Now John Large was one of the he was number two in the FIA to Max Mosley at that time, and he for for all. Uh, he, he started Target Tasmania as uh, a chemist from Western Australia, you know, and he, he did that. And he was an Australian rally championship winning um, uh, na navigator in, in that uh, sport. So John was quite some person, but he, he, he was a, when he booked a flight, it was always in seat 1A. So he was always at the toffee end of the sport. Anyway, so we go to Barcelona, we watch the Grand Prix and he wasn't well man at the time. And he, when we got to the airport, he wanted to get into the plane in the easiest possible way. So he, he said, oh, now, this, this fellow, Bruce Keyes, he's my physiotherapist. And this fellow here, Dr. Rob Nethercote, is my medical advisor. And he says that you should get us onto the plane as easily as possible. So therefore, what happened was we were taken out in a bus and he was raised in a scissor lift <laughs> into, into seat 1A and we were in 1B and 1C. <laughs> so John, John Large, that was, that was very enjoyable. But going to uh, to the insurance um, thing, I can remember uh, Bruce giving an, uh, an outline of, of why the sand traps at, at Bathurst, for instance, have to be this long and this wide um, because they'll stop a car before it hits the wall and all that sort of thing. That was interesting, very, very interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, Bruce has been a, a great uh, person in the sport. Um, I'd like to say also that uh, I had a fantastic staff. And when I took over CAMS, they had had a 40% staff turnover. Can you imagine that? Turning over mm. two and a half years. For the five years that I was there, it was 15, which is the basically generation Z, X, Y, whatever, um, average. And the reason was that I think we got some good people into place. We had some good people there. I mean, it's wonderful working with Tim Schenk and, you know, Tim Tim uh, has got a great sense of humour and he he's he's done it all. Um, you know the great trivia question of a uh, is and, and he'll <laughs> remind you he has. Oh, you know he's he's he's, he's uh, well he's got reason to remind you too I think. <laughs> but but, but uh, you know Tim Tim the, the great trivia question is who are the four Australian drivers who've got points at Formula One and everybody will go you know Ricardo uh, Jones and and Weber, but Tim Shekin's the fourth. Now, people like Vern Schuppen, uh, Larry didn't get points. Um, and, of course, it was harder at that time because they only got points for the first six. Mm. Now they get for the first ten. So it makes a, makes a difference. So, but, you know, it was great. Working with Tim was great. But Tim, of course, made – he did make mistakes as the uh, race uh, director. Um, and uh, But he got away with it because of the mana the man has. And uh, it's terrific. You know, he could put the safety car out in front of anything and there'd be no complaint because he knew what he was doing. Um no, he was he was a great uh, addition to the sport. The, one of the funny um, things was that I I was told by Wayne Caddick that we needed to have a succession plan for Tim. Well, of course, Tim la outlasted me at Camps or Motorsport Australia 
by something like 15 years. So, <laughs> um, but Tim, um, Peter Ryan, I have to say, Peter Ryan was a great man. And, uh, you know, you guys that know the Shannons thing, he put that together and that was mm. a terrific, because we'd had um, we'd had Pro Car as the second circus. And uh, when when that fell over, and that was that was sad, but when that fell over, it just decided we had to do something, and we got uh, got Shannon's in on it, and they they backed us to the hilt, and they've done a great job in motorsport, Shannon's. Um, but Peter Peter was the strength in putting that together, and if I'd said of, of the four four things that I could look back on my time at um, at Cam's that probably are ongoing achievements, one of those is the Shannon's series. It's had various iterations. It's now owned, I think, by CAMS or by Motorsport Australia. Um, the second one was Formula 5000. Bob Harbour came to me and uh, said, uh, you know, we would like to run the 5000 at the Grand Prix, and we achieved that. And they're still running today. They're not always out on the track as often as they can. But, gee, I tell you what, seeing those Formula 5000s that we have with the overseas uh, Formula 1 cars at Phillip Island uh, at the Classic this year was just spectacular uh, and it's a good gauge to see the relativity between the two marks of Formula One cars and, and Formula 5000. You know, some of those Formula One cars are only 1500cc, you know, pumping out 19,000 revs and whatever. Um, that was one, um, not going on about this, but classical, um, the uh, historic rally was another um, and I can't think of the other one at the moment, but <laughs> just anyway, I was talking about the staff turnover and, and I had great people. Shane Rogers, you know, Shane is a walking encyclopedia of motorsport and he does a great job with Blendline. Um, he makes us look good on a regular occasion, I can tell you. No, wait, Dave, a little, he makes you look good. He makes me, <laughs> he, he, he has a little whisper in my ear, oh, Shaggers, you give him a bit of off mic, thanks, Shaggers, I was struggling. <laughs> goes, oh, I've got plenty more and I go, no, you have, save it, yeah, save it. Yeah. I mentioned Bruce, but Quentin Crombie came along. You know, he raced Formula V with with me and and others, and he went off to work at the FIA. He's still, uh, very he's proud still of at what the he FIA, achieved. isn't he? No, he's no. in. He's living. He's, I think he's living in South Australia. He's he's, okay. he's done um, various study and so on. He's a he's a bright fellow, and he was the um, one who really got um, our uh, uh, strategic plan together. That was something that if you do read the. Uh, the history of CAMS, it's one thing it does say that happened in my era, was that we managed the first strategic plan for CAMS. Um, so they were good good people, lots of good people. But I'd like to mention Brick Reed and um, and Graham Hoynville, working where those two were amazing. Um, Brick and I studied together at Melbourne University. So that's oh. where the doctorate comes from. Uh, he was uh, studying in the area of music. He was a muso, but he was also an elfin fanatic. And I call him Mr. Elfin, and that's why I've got an Elfin now. I had to have one. When it, when um, when uh, um, Ron Parks, I think it was, uh, just um, retired, we still had Graham, and and I got Brick along board, and that was the best thing I could ever do. Um, and I'll give you a story that uh, I, I had to um, let get the uh, person on reception to make sure that no phone calls went through to the historic department in the morning. Because if they nothing went through to them, if, if they if they got phone calls coming in, they'd get no CFDs done, no certificates of description done. And having lost the farm, we needed sources of income, and one of them was a certificate of description. And I think they were seven hundred dollars each, and uh, quite a lot of work went into each one. Um, uh, those people who have had to get them for their cars, of course, they're a bit of a bane of their lives, but they are an important um, way of verifying that their cars are 
of the uh, prominent providence, providence that they are. And uh, um, Brick and, and Graham were absolutely brilliant at that. Otherwise, people would just ring them up and talk about the wiggle on the wagon of their often or whatever it might be. And both of them would oblige for an hour. Oh, or so. And they, they were terrific. They knew everything about the, any any car you could you could see. And there are a lot of other people in the Historic Commission who had great knowledge of, of cars and what has gone behind uh, or before. Um, but but um, Brick and I then decided that we wanted to get a Formula Ford and we tried to find a, an Elfin 600, but we couldn't manage it. And that's why David Mottram came up with the Lola T342. And there are two or three of them racing. I saw one at Rob Roy the other day. Uh, and it was a temperamental, it was a beautiful beast and it drove beautifully, but it, 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 it caught fire and things like that, which is a bit annoying. Um, and uh, anyway, it's now, I think, in a, a, a Luxembourg Museum as a sort of seminal model of Formula Ford. Um, so that was, that was uh, Brick Reed was sensational. Um, I think that's probably the, 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 some of the joys I've had of the, of the sport. It's interesting you, you touch on John Large. I also had a close experience with John 85, 86, 87 at the, the Grand Prix when he was travelling to and from Paris on a regular occasion to and, and the UK to to grease the wheels and make sure that Bernie would make the Grand Prix keep coming back and he'd stand up in front of 1,100 officials on the Sunday morning of the Grand Prix and he'd been to government house and he'd had a wine and he'd been to the after party and had a scotch and he'd been to the after after party and <laughs> and 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 he'd get up there and it was like Sir Les Patterson just reading the uh reading the sermon to everyone on the Sunday morning. He was such a motivational speaker. And 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 his by by name and by nature, John Large was just a massive figure in Australian motorsport in that era. I've got a great story about John Large. Um we were trying to uh, involve Andra. And Andra was one group within the, within the Speedway community. And we're trying to get Andra to sort of become the, the body we've worked with us to be a consistency in, in Speedway so that we were really dealing with all four, four-wheel motorsport. And the, uh, there was a lot of email traffic going backwards and forwards and everybody was involved in it. And at one stage, John Large wrote a reply all, which included all of them, including the ones who are being difficult, he said, these people, are really, and he, he wrote something which was particularly um, negative towards the way they were behaving, and you wouldn't believe it, but it worked. He didn't intend it, but it did work. After that, I made sure on all communications that we had two buttons to hit for reply all. <laughs> the, you mentioned about the uh, certificates of description. The really... Did they sort of come to prominence when Group A and Group C cars were were racing at historic meetings? Is that sort of the, the start of that C of D period when we, us in the general public, knew more about it? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, all I know is that they were in when I arrived. So uh, it would be pre-2002. Uh, but apart from that, I can't really answer the question. I think... I think they're a good idea uh, because yeah, I, if you, I agree. If you if you go to New Zealand, it's far. You know, we, we get the New Zealand cars coming over here, and they beat us because they they're not they're, they're not restricted in the same way uh, we were. I mean, there's uh, there've been a lot of um, flexibilities built into a lot of our racing to to make them safer, basically. Um, mm. But but um, 
there, there's much more freedom in New Zealand, for instance. And and so I think it really, if you buy a historic racing car in Australia, you can guarantee if it's got a C of D and a logbook, it's worth the money it's worth. You know, mm. and 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 I think that's an important part of it. Rob, Matt, Matt, this time on all of our um, our chats with our guests, I always ask what your single one greatest moment in motorsport has been, and, and you can throw it right back to 1956 and bring it right up to today, but one moment in motorsport where you puffed your chest out and went, well done, Dr. Rob Nethercote, you've done a good job today. Uh, well, I, I think probably there are a number of things I could say, but I, I think I'm proud of the fact that I ran a good team at at cams and I was sympathetic to the to the club area of sport of the sport. You know, sometimes some of the board were only interested in uh, V8 supercars and and the Grand Prix, uh, when in fact, you know, at that time and it's more now. I mean, we've got to understand how big motorsport is in Australia. At my time, there were eighteen thousand drivers. I think it's twenty five thousand now. Mm. I think there are eleven thousand accredited officials. Uh, we've got we had 350 car clubs at that time. It's now 500, I believe. Uh, it's like and it's like the four football codes. You've got um, circuit racing, historic uh, circuit racing. Uh, you've got uh, historic uh, rally. You've got, in fact, it's five. If you've got rally and 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 uh, historic rally, although they tend to run together, don't they? Um, and then you've you've got um, off road racing. It's 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 an amazing thing, and um, you know. I was proud that I had a team that really, I believe, made that happen pretty well during that period. Now, CAMS was known as the Confederation Against Motorsport, and that's why they're now known as Motorsport Australia, I believe, because the branding was um, became negative rather than positive. Mm. And I'm really pleased they did do that. I didn't, I, I wasn't behind it for the cost that it would be involved, but I knew it had to happen at some stage. And I, I'm glad they've done that because a lot of the people who are coming into the sport now are seeing a pretty good thing. And I think um, I've got to pay compliment to Eugene and the team and, and particularly the board at the moment. I'm, I think Andrew Fraser is leading us very well. We've got people like Coral Taylor, who's just the most magnificent person uh, who I've, I've uh, had great discussions with about road safety. Uh, and um, Margot Foster, for instance. Now, Margot Foster, people won't know uh, much about, but Margot is an Olympic rower. And uh, she's she's got a great understanding of of, of of sport generally, and I think they've added uh, a great deal. and And it's great to see people like Sam Reed on the board. Uh, you know, I saw Sam come in and in in uh, firstly I think karting and then into Formula Ford, and uh, you know it's it's terrific to see that uh, diversity that's starting to happen uh, in the board. And uh, you know, so I mean, my greatest uh, joy, I, I suppose. Um, Looking back is that I was able to uh, spend five years and, and I can walk around tracks now and people don't sort of treat me as that person, that bugger from Cairns. Who, oh, you, who you, don't feel as, you got a target on your back or something. I, no, not at all. I, I, quite, the, quite the opposite. And uh, yep. I feel welcomed. And uh, I think people love the fact that I'm still racing or not racing. I'm sprinting or hill climbing or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, the joy, of course, is, as you say, Darren, I've got a terrific little car. It's it's the it's these a lot of people have driven it because it was the sales car of Bill Hemmings. Uh, Seventy five Type Three Clubman were built, and everybody I think drove that in before they bought the kit or whatever. And I before I bought that, 
that was that was the second attempt to buy a formula uh, that, and I was buying it because of Brick Reed, um, because I, I love Brick so much um, that I wanted to honour him by buying a, an elephant and competing in it. And I went to a fellow in Albury, and he built a, a really good for uh, a clubman, elephant clubman, and uh, I, I gave him the deposit of a thousand dollars. He said he'd deliver it down the next week. Uh, he rang me up during the week. He said, "I'm returning your deposit. I can't get. I can't let this go." I spent 300 hours building it, and it's too precious to me. So then I got the one that that uh, Bill had had. But uh, Bill Hemming's done a great thing for Elfin, and it's great to see that the uh, the club is regenerating. And I suppose one of the joys uh, I had uh, was two years ago, in sorry, three, well, four years ago now, 2019, it was the 60th year of Elfin, and the Mini, by the way, and we had special race meetings around the country. And uh, basketball, we lined up 14 Elfins on the main straight at lunchtime, and the crowd all descended upon us. I think that's a great thing to do at a race meeting. It's mm. during the luncheon period, line some cars off on the main straight and let people get in amongst them and see how and get close to them. And the other thing was that at Malala, uh, in this meeting that I'm going to this weekend, four years ago, we had 26 of us on the track together. And I'll tell you what, I've got a lovely photo of me in front of um, uh, Paul Hamilton in his Formula 2. Um, and and a, uh, there's a Formula Ford there from Laureate. And also uh, Mark Goldsmith's beautiful a, um, a 400. Uh, they were coming around to lap me. But I'm in front. It looks good. Oh, yeah. I, I know we have uh, both Michael Smith and Shane Rogers regularly listen to our podcast, Rob, and they'll be puffing their chests out very proudly that you've singled out your time at you know at that office as uh, as the proud of the team because there's a couple of blokes that have, have had some very great longevity in the sport that were around then too. Well, I'm delighted to see Michael there. He doesn't necessarily have as good publicity as he deserves. Um, some people have, have got uh, negativities toward Michael. He's, he's done a great job over a long time. Whenever they need someone to step into the CEO role, he's the first one they push forward, isn't he? Well, he's running. He's running the Shannons now. <laughs> he is. He is. Um, and the other question I like to pose at this point in time is: we've touched on the niceties of the, you know your great achievements, and, and and again, I'll preface this with you don't have to answer this, but who was your greatest protagonist? Now, this could be on the racetrack, it could be in the pit lane, it could be in the boardroom, wherever. There, there's someone you went. Uh, it's going to be a tough old gig today. I'm going up against. <laughs> well, obviously, Bob Jane, but but, but um, you know, Bob's it was a, an interesting character because he uh, he had so many good ideas, but he was he was a nasty piece of work at times, and and you know he 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 uh, sued Cam's uh, six times, uh, and used we used to had to find it, fight it because we couldn't afford to lose, and I don't know what it was whether he'd lost in the stewards' room or something, off too often, or what, but. Uh, I guess the other thing is that he had um, he had a winning culture, and uh, when he didn't always win, uh, when Cam's was in the situation, he didn't quite like us. Dogmatic, a good word. Yeah, yeah. Look, he was dogmatic, but I think he was. Uh, I, I think he did a lot for the sport, you know. And wouldn't it be wonderful if Calder came back in a in a in a good form? I think that mm. the, Rodney and um, Kim are trying to do a great job there, and I. I just hope that it can come back in a, a form that it can be used because we, we do need these tracks. And that, you know, I, mm. I, my, my formative time racing was at Calder. 
a lot of people in you know in Vic- that were Victorian based was was at Calder. You could go there just about any time of the day or night and get some laps in. And whether you're testing and or racing, the Victorian State Series at one point, I think five out of the six rounds were at were at Calder, and uh, it was mm. certainly uh, very very well used. Um, Rob, we've uh, we've been doing this for just over an hour now. Um, we're sort of running out of time. Is there anything else in your time in motorsport that you'd like to you'd like for us to touch on, or have we we've, we've just glossed over a few things? Which in an hour, it, it, that is the the tyranny of time. Well, I'd, I'd like to say that you guys have always had a roof over your heads, and I've I've never had a roof over my head except once, <laughs> and it was I was asked by uh, the people at Wanneroo to open Jack's Hill. Do you know Jack's Hill? Jack's no. Hills, their, their hill yes, climb right out one road. Yeah. yeah, and and um, uh, I was I uh, I was um, I'm not going to remember the guy's name. Mike's um, he had a Capri. Do you know? And and it was wonderful. Oh, that's terrible when you can't do that on something like this. Uh, you probably <laughs> won't be able, you probably won't be able to use this. Um, but but he lent me his Capri, and I was within a second of him, which which made me very pleased. I'll tell you what, the other thing is, is that um, I would have swapped every single lap with a roof over my head to have not had the roof over my head, to be honest would with you. Would you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I still lust after a, a drive of an RF86. I just, one day I'll drive one. Yes. Well, look, there's lots of cars I'd like to drive, but I've been very fortunate to to drive it at a level where I could afford it, basically. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the elephant at the moment is just a joy. It has no vices. Uh, and you know, you, you mentioned Paul Zitti before. Oh, it looked like a clown car when he was behind the wheel. I tell you. <laughs> well, you know, the, the regularity at Sandown uh, was set at one thirty-five, and that's about what I do. And so I, I nominated that time, and then I had an eye infection, and I got Paul into the car, and of course he straight off goes one thirty-three. He'd had a go in the car at, at Winton before and done a um, a one thirty-nine, and I do one forty-two up there. So he's, he's got an ability and he's currently racing. He's very fit and all that sort of thing. Um, but, of course, 133 brought the ire of the stewards. He was brought up before the stewards. And, of course, uh, he, got, he went and did it again. So he put the car on the trailer and went home, which was not bad from my point of view because even though I'd paid for the, him to do it, uh, there was more tire, more uh, tire left than it might have been otherwise. Yeah, but fantastic. Paul, Paul, Paul's one of the great people in motorsport. He, he He's done a great job. How's that, Gaz? In the last one with Mike, who was his boss for 10 years, was nothing but bagging him out. And now we've got <laughs> Rob here uh, singing him praises. Mike, Mike Paul very complimentary. The... That's wrong. <laughs> Paul will be off the winter this weekend, full of hot air. He's going to be, he'll be commentating on the Blendline TV coverage this weekend. He's, so he's we a look great forward to it. commentator too. <laughs> he does well. Rob, um, sadly, our time has come to an end. And uh, I've got to say, fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad that you were... Lovely enough to give uh, us some uh, me and Gaz a, a compliment on um, on Facebook on Messenger, and uh, you and I got a conversation going, and we've had you here for an hour and ten minutes now. So uh, really, really cool. It's been fantastic to have uh, to have you on board the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Well, thank you for that, and and uh, I think you two are doing a fantastic job. Um, and as I said before, I love the grassroots, and you're certainly making them come to life. Thank oh, you. We, we, that's pretty much. We've been trying to uh, launch a career, but we keep coming back down to the grassroots. <laughs> Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks, James. 
Well, Gaz, listeners, how good was that? Uh, Dr. Rob Nethercote there from Formula V's, Formula Ford's to the biggest office in uh, Australian motorsport and uh, some great reminiscing memories and uh, you know, been head-to-head with some of the biggest names in the world of motorsport and really good to, to have Rob join us here tonight. Gaz, plenty of racing been going on and continues to go on. Um, of course, the Bathurst 12-hour yeah. was uh, run, run and done between last time we spoke. The six hour, the run, the oh, twelve hour was done back in February. Yeah, yeah, so that yeah, was so done. And yeah, just hours. on, <laughs> just on Rob, the um, the great thing about that, there's a guy that went to the top in motorsport from the grassroots level. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, not not that, not helicoptered uh, in at moved, the top level. Yeah, and um, and did some wonderful things while there, and as you mentioned, at a pretty arduous stage of um the. Uh, growth period for Motorsport Australia or NE Confederation of Motorsport. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah the Easter, Easter only really provided us with one major meeting and that was the Bathurst six hour, um, which turned out to be a pretty interesting race and we won't have to go back through all the results. We know what happened there and um, how exciting it was with that uh, last lap run to the checkered flag and how close the category the classes were. I mean, class A1 changed about 15 minutes from the end and then it could have changed again. Class A2 changed at the last corner. That's how close it was. And then, of course, uh, Jadna Jada, um, it's already been uh, mentioned just how spectacular he was, particularly uh, taking to the grass on Conrad Strait to get the lead of the race. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 well and done by Hodgie as well, who who co-drove with him. He, you know, anchored the heck of yeah. the drive. Sort yeah, of. well, he, he put the whole deal together, didn't yeah. he? So. You've got to give him a lot of pats on the back. And, you know, what are we going to find that's going to beat BMWs? Will this race go to GT4, you think, in the in the future? Yeah, look, there's a fairly big push behind GT4. I think GT4 will stand on its own two legs and will will have its own its own, I guess, series that will will come of it. I've always been a big fan of GT4 because the cost of GT3 has just gone astronomical. And when you can drive pretty much the same car in a I'm going to say a de-specified trim. Um, most of the drivers in GT3s will probably find it a more pleasurable drive in a in a GT4 because they are so high tech. I think it'll be a, be a bit more cruisy. Yeah, um, correct. There was correct. some support action. Support action at Bathurst, of course. The pulses were back for a second outing and uh, put on some pretty good racing. As did the 62 XLs through practice and qualifying. Didn't have one incident get to the race and there was safety car safety car safety car so they had their dramas in the race i guess the wick was turned up for uh, the races and unfortunately it caught a few out yeah xl's um last time i was at the uh the six hour with you gaz on the sunday morning uh I think 30 cars ploughed into each other and only 10 got off the line and th- that was the end of it they were red flag and go <laughs> home gents so it was uh um no, it was it's good to, unfortunate it's still good to see so many up there yeah yeah, yeah. good to see so many up there and there was some pretty good racing as well while all that was going on and george gambino signed on again as the, life. sorry george gambino signed on again with high-tech oils as well so that's good for that event um you know the the, the 12 hour is yes. the liquid molly which is an oil and the the six hour is the high-tech oils and uh it's good that um those sponsors see great value in in uh continuing their their push with advertising their product via motorsport. 
yeah, and um, be interested. There's talk about the MRF tyre might be developed further for next year's race, which might make a lot of people happy because uh, while it never wears out, I don't know why you'd make a tyre that never wears out, but they do. And um, But it can be a bit skittish under big, fast cars. Anyway, uh, moving on from that, we had the second round of the Australian Formula Ford Series and the second round of... Uh, Australian Formula Open Series at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend. Big fills in both. As well, we had the Toyota Gazoo Racing Australia Scholarship Series for the 86ers, and um, that turned out to be uh, pretty good too. Marcus Liddell, where you might remember that name from the past, he won all three races. In uh, Formula Ford's Matt Hillier, did enough in two races by winning them and a sixth in the final to uh, take the points and increase his lead there. And Trent Grubel won the two races in Formula Open. Unfortunately, the first race had a four-car shunt at the start and uh, it was declared a non-event. Good to see old mate of mine, uh, Brandon Scammell, doing the uh, engineering of Trent Grubel's car. He uh, had a lot to do with Nick Percat back in the day in Formula Ford, and good to see him back at the track working with uh, Timmy Macro. He uh, was also working with Tim in the S5000 as well. So some uh, old faces and you again back at the racetrack. Just touching on the the uh, Toyota scholarship series, uh, Liddell was a Super 2 racer, was he? Correct. Yeah. Yep. So we're now got the... Toyota Scholarship Series, which is essentially the Super 2 of the GR well, Series. Well, to a point, there's three rounds before the first round of the main series takes place at Townsville. And the top 25 in the points, is my understanding, have an invite to go to the main series when it starts. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, Gaz, there's still plenty of uh, racing coming up this weekend. Of course, uh, all of Victorian circuit racing uh, fraternity will be heading off up to Winton only a few weeks after the whole New South Wales motorsport fraternity had come down to race at Winton. Formula Ford, Formula V, uh, the Porsche 944s will be massive there. Sports sedans have very much up a really good field this uh, for this weekend. The um, uh, MGs and invited British racing cars is always and has been over the last three seasons a massive um, event. They've done so well at a state level to get those MGs and and the Stags and uh, Triumphs out there. They've been doing such great racing, um, and and all of your usual uh, usual fare. The Improved Production Racing Association will be there. Saloon cars will be there. I hope uh, Daniel Johnson, who uh, had such a great race at Winton last year, and Daniel's the president and does a lot of huge work behind the scenes in uh, saloon cars. He had a, a really good win in his Falcon up there, so hope he, hopefully he can return to some some good form because he seems to be just uh, waving the flag while uh, Jamo from South Australia comes and takes all the saloon car trophies. So plenty of racing. XLs will also be there. That's sort of standard fare with State Series these days, but uh, so plenty of going on there. The Ada River Rally on the weekend was taken out by uh, Brendan Reeves in his Datsun. So he really did take it up to all the four-wheel drive cars. There was a good entry at the Ada River Rally as well. So weather uh, would have been pretty good as well, wouldn't it? It was pretty good. Yeah, they got it. They got a little bit of um, a little bit of damp stuff there, but uh, certainly you'd have to say uh, that a, a rear-wheel drive car with a good good guy at the wheel and some good horsepower under his foot that you wouldn't want it to be too wet because that's when the four-wheel drive cars would. Uh, certainly uh, come romping home from their positions. 
Uh, and that's pretty much it, guys. I'm up, I'm off up to up the Hume, up to Winton. We'll be um, on Blendline TV all weekend with the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships brought to you by Triple Eight Home Loans. Looking forward to that. Yeah, well, just harking back to Sydney Motorsport Park last weekend, it was the second round of the New South Wales Motor Racing Championships and entries were over 200 243, I think I've seen as one count. That's huge, considering that the first round probably had the lowest entry list they've ever had because it was at Winton. But some brilliant racing there over the course of the weekend. Brad Shields has just got that uh, rotary turbocharged Fiat 124 humming at the moment. He was doing 29s at Sydney Motorsport Park, and that's only a second off the... Uh, <laughs> You're looking at a, a stupid raider on your T-shirt. Yeah, the raiders are back in New South Wales sports at ends. Actually, in the last race, Rotary Power Cars finished first, second and third. The two Ingram brothers came home second and third. Unfortunately, the Chevs um, of uh, the Chev Power Cars of uh, Steve Lacey was second in race one and race two expired in the third. And Billy Chetton, who was uh, up to second in the first race, had... Uh, engine dramas i believe it dropped a valve but other great categories that were running formula v were running there that was very tight very close in the end unfortunately the last race got uh, clipped a lap because um two of the leading protagonists went out at turn eight the toyotas as i mentioned their third third and final race was actually stopped and restarted for um halfway through because three cars um tangled coming out of turn seven but um, supercars were there. There was improved production in under and over two litres, two separate races there. Zach Hudson came down. And a rotor one there too. Well, one, two of the races got pipped on the line by a BMW in the last race. We didn't see that coming. And in the unders, um, uh, the two leading protagonists both had problems. And um, uh, and this impulsive won the last race, Michael Ricketts, and the car that's fettled by Jordan Cox, of all people. So um, they did some pretty good work there. Um, yeah, that's basically summed up. Uh, there was probably other couple of categories, but uh, skip my mind at the moment. Uh, production sports had had a one-hour enduro for nine cars. That was thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess I reckon that's episode twenty-three in the can. I think we've done it. Yep. Got I think there. we're done. I think we're done. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And uh, big thanks to Rob Nethercote for his time and talking through uh, his journey in, in motorsport and associated arenas. And uh, at this point, it's good night from Daz. And it's good night from Gaz. See you next time. Bye. You've just listened to another Network Art production. <laughs>